Hello and welcome to the Spin Move Podcast. I am your host, Nathan Parker. I am joined with my co-host, Samir Mala and Paolo Esparza. We have got a great podcast for you guys today. I'm ready to get into a lot of sports. We have some NBA to talk about, NBA All-Star. We have some pretty amazing performances of late. We also have some college basketball. We'll get into a little bit of the Duke-North Carolina game, as well as the Maryland-Nebraska game. We've got a little bit of XFL over the weekend. Pretty exciting weekend for football. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about some of the highlights of this past weekend. And uh, we got some little odds and ends as well. And, of course, we will have our weekly birthday game, which should be a lot of fun. Um, so, yeah, we got a lot to talk about. How are you guys doing today? Doing fine. It's gotten pretty cold as of late. Uh, I'm not as cold as uh, years past. No snow, thankfully. Yes. But still... Uh, decent weather it's been good been busy and yeah it's not been as cold as in previous uh, years around this time but it has been raining lately yeah a lot of rain i mean it's but no snow thankfully no snow no snow but so I, like snow. In this <laughs> I, love, I, I love snow i mean i get why people don't like it because it's difficult to drive through it and clean I, driveways yeah but yeah. it's beautiful to look at it's beautiful to look at i mean i don't mind cleaning my driveway but <laughs> Uh, my driveway, have you seen yeah, ours? Your, your driveway is pretty, pretty big. I would not have... It's literally 50, fifth, like, uh, what is it, 50 yards or something? Were you here when... Were, were you still living at that house when, when we had the 36? Yeah, when we had the two feet, again? yeah. The funny thing was, we got a... We just got, like, the snowblower, the yeah. one that you uh, drive, right. that uh, my dad just bought, like, uh, a month or so back prior to the storm. Yeah. And the problem is, he gave us gasoline that didn't work with the... We didn't know because it was a new uh, thing and he just filled up uh, just gasoline from somewhere. And so it stalled at when we got to the end of the the driveway uh, like several times. Yeah. That's tough. That's tough. Well, thankfully, guys, we're not showered in 36 inches (laughs) of snow. But I wouldn't mind five inches of snow. But I wouldn't mind five inches of snow. Wouldn't mind five inches of snow. That's for sure. We're sitting right here in a warm welcoming uh podcast where we've got tons of of course um to talk about before we go ahead and get started for today uh, we want to let you guys know you can reach us on multiple platforms um you can reach us on pinecast you can reach us on spotify you can watch reach us on apple you can also google us we also have a twitter page at the spin move podcast um please definitely check that out if you get the opportunity to comment Uh, interact with us. We'd love to talk with you guys, get a conversation started. Also, please do share this podcast um, to your friends and family. If you really like this podcast, um, if you guys get the word out, get more people um, kind of excited to it, then we can hear from you guys and uh, create some more of a sports conversation. Uh, We'd love to chat with you guys. Um, Also, please subscribe. If if you get the opportunity to do that as well, please subscribe. Um, We'd appreciate the support. But without further ado, let's go ahead and get into our podcast and our first segment today. We're going to go ahead and jump into something that is going to be tough to talk about as a North Carolina Tar Heel fan. Over the weekend, the Tar Heels played probably their best game of the year, but it was in a double overtime loss to the... Or single overtime. Was it single overtime? Okay, single overtime loss to the Duke Blue Devils. Um... 
there's a lot to say <laughs> about this game. Um, North Carolina played, like I said, their best game, especially defensively. They were flying around, making pretty much every shot. You know, they were taking tons of jump shots. Um, Brooks was having a really good game. Um, and it seemed like for quite some time that North Carolina had control over this game. But it wasn't until about seven minutes, seven to five minutes left in regulation when Duke started to kind of chug back. North Carolina had the biggest lead of, of their game um, at 75 to 62. And it seemed like, you know, things were really heading in the right direction for North Carolina. But Duke just kept chopping at the at the lead one by one. North Carolina would fight back a little bit. But inevitably at, at overtime, <laughs> of course, it would be a last second shot to go ahead and put them into overtime. And uh, and some pretty crazy kind of ending bits um, to finish out both the regulation and overtime. Um, and the Tar Heels, of course, um, lost <laughs> to the Duke. Blue Yet Bells. again. Yet again. So, guys, obviously you can tell this is not my favorite subject to talk about starting off the podcast, but where, where are you guys' thoughts? Where do you guys sit on this? Well, for um, North Carolina, their downhill was a lot of things. Main thing was even though it seems like they had the game won, they kept Duke in the game. They, get, yep. they, they kept giving Duke hope that they have a chance to win. And when I was in the football team in high school, my coach would always tell the team, don't give your opponents any hope of coming back and winning this game. That's what North Carolina did. And uh, I was discussing with Samir, who was also watching the game, and he mentioned that uh, when it comes to free throws, North Carolina was below 50%. That's correct. So they couldn't shoot a free throw to save their lives until, like, very late in the game. And this was a home game. 18 turnovers as well. And this was a home game for them. So you'd expect to have that home um, home court advantage, home rims being more friendlier. And for the majority of the game, it seemed as though that home court advantage was showing through, but it was at the end of regulation. Some pretty wild things happened, we have to say as well. Um, but overall, um, you still have to end up finishing the game. Cassius Stanley was um, unreal. Um, Trey Jones, though, was really the guy um, calling the shots towards the end of the game, both um, at the end of regulations and, it, and in overtime. Um, but, I mean, it was pretty improbable the way Duke won. Um, but they obviously have been the better team for the majority of the year. Um, and they showed, obviously, at the end of this game, just a couple stat lines for you guys. We have Cassius Stanley at 22 points, six rebounds, two assists. Trey Jones at 28 points, five rebounds, six assists. Uh, Vernon Carey Jr. at 18 points and six boards. And I just wanted to mention. Just wanted to mention that Vernon Carey and Cassius Stanley both fouled out right. before overtime, and so That's right. it was basically all in the hands of Trey Jones. Yep, and he pulled it out. Yeah, he pulled it out. He he put on a stellar performance. Um, you got to give him a lot of credit for uh, finishing the way. He did. Mind you, Stanley and Jones were playing uh, significant minutes. With Stanley, he played only thirty-six minutes before he got fouled out. Trey yep. Jones played like above forty minutes. That's right. Yeah, with, minutes. with the overtime, of course. Factor. Another thing that contributed to the Tar Heels' loss is uh, turnovers. You can't commit turnovers. You had the Duke Blue Devils committing only 12 turnovers, and the Tar Heels committing close to 20. They committed 18 turnovers. 
which, of course, as many turnovers as you uh, commit, you're not going to win the game. I don't care how good you are. This is very true, and that that ended up being the North Carolina Tar Heels undoing as they go down um, to the Duke Blue Devils, 98 to 96. The Duke Blue Devils to improve to 20 and three on the on the year, and the Tar Heels we regress to 10 and 13 on the year. So, so. actually, let me update this. It's actually 21 and three because they played. Oh, okay. Game so and, yeah, yeah. They, I was gonna say they they played in uh, against uh, Florida State on on Monday, and both teams had similar records at that point, uh, 20 and three, uh, 19 and three each, and both had uh, what was it, 10 and two uh, conference records. But this was a Duke home game, and they eventually won by like five. Right. Duke is twenty-one and three, and they they have a, a six-game winning streak. Tar Heels basically at the bottom of the barrel, only better than uh, the Miami Hurricanes. They're ten and fourteen with a four-game losing streak. Yeah, yeah, the struggle bus is real. North Carolina Tar Heels. It's obvious that they are not going anywhere <laughs> this year. Well, what um, was it? But we are going to move on from this subject because. I personally don't want to talk about how bad the Tar Heels are anymore. Of course. He's about, got... to, he's about to throw something. He he's talking about it. No, no throwing objects. That never helps anything. But it, we, won't, we won't talk about the Tar Heels anymore. That's for sure. Um, but going on to a equally as interesting game. So let's talk about Michigan State versus Illinois. Um, also a pretty exciting game. Samir, you want to go ahead and get it started out on that? Yep, it was a. I would say it was a lopsided affair early. Uh, as Paolo mentioned, uh, Michigan State had a like a twenty point advantage. Uh, it was up, like fifty six to thirty nine at that time. Yeah, fifty six thirty nine. This was like around midway through the uh, uh, second half, and then Illinois went on like a twenty two to four run to cut the deficit into single digits into a one-possession game. So I want to mention something. It was like 56-39, I think. It was, they were winning by double digits. And then before commercial break, it was 60 uh, Michigan State to 55 Illinois. And as Samir was mentioning, that 22-4 to won in like the last seven minutes to 30 seconds. Illinois and Michigan State were trading um, leads, but it was like a one one point advantage, like each uh, possession. Yeah, within the turnaround. Yeah, it was a like uh, one possession game each way within the last like three four minutes of the game, and then uh, Michigan State had the go ahead bucket with about uh, uh, what was it ten seconds left on a put back uh, dunk. Illinois uh, had uh, both teams had no timeouts at that point. Illinois uh, went the length of the court with their top player. Ayu Desomu, and he went to the right baseline and unfortunately slipped on a spot and uh, pulled his uh, uh, what was it his left leg back it and out. yeah, yeah and he was uh, it brought him at, back to the horrors of that RG three injury and yeah he was grabbing his uh, knee in pain the the crowd in Illinois it was sold out uh, Deron Williams was there and uh, yeah it was pretty uh, ruckus. Yeah, it was a pretty ruckus against uh, two of the top four teams in the conference. And once that injury happened, the uh, the crowd went deathly silent. Yeah. Uh, Michigan State was uh, jumping. Uh, the fans were jumping with joy because they just yeah. came back and defeated uh, Illinois last second. And but, everybody wants to beat Michigan State regardless of what true. their ranking is. Yeah. Because Michigan State was the preseason favorite. Right. And yet to see them uh, – come from behind and win shows some merit and off a three-game losing streak. 
And despite that, yeah, Illinois and Ayudusumu, we all thought it would be like a possibly season ending at worst or something that's significant. <laughs> but luckily, according to the uh, last uh, two hours, it turns out there wasn't any significant injury to that knee for Ayudusumu. That's good news. That's good news. Really you never want to see somebody go down with a major injury. You know, and especially for, for Illinois being their best player, um, that would be an insult to injury. So um, definitely good to, good news to hear that he's back. But like we said, another tight game, another hard-fought game for both teams. Um, unfortunately, for uh, for the Fighting Illini, that's what? You said three straight losses? or uh, It could be. Uh, it's at least two. At least two? Michigan State had a three-game losing streak before they won this game. Yeah, but now Illinois also has now a two-game losing streak at yeah, least. Yeah. But they so also have to see how that's going to affect their rankings. Yep. And then Illinois had to deal with a horrific uh, loose ball foul. Yeah, before that, during the back and forth last four minutes of the game. So, like, a, what was it? Michigan State player had the ball, and uh, no, no, uh, yeah, I think it was it was just a loose ball around the three point line. Um, an Illinois player was diving at it. Really? A Michigan State player was just standing still at that point, yeah. and they called a foul on the uh, Illinois player who had possession of the ball and just happened to run into the Michigan State player. And so that change of possession, Michigan State had the ball, but it didn't amount to much as it was a back-and-forth affair yeah. last four minutes. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's, it's always difficult, especially at the end, you know, when you get calls. But like you said, it's, it is a back-and-forth. Um, you know, some of those things do happen. Um, but the Fighting Illini, they had a, an opportunity to win that game. I, I think when I saw the um, the last shot for the possession from Michigan State Spartans, that on that layup, um, three guys moved over. Yeah, three Illinois that. guys. And you always are taught in basketball if there's ever going to be a case where you're you're going to um, double team or you're going to um, overload on one side. You always have to make sure that you have a guy boxing out on the backside corner. Exactly. You never know somebody's coming down the lane, and that's exactly what happened. Somebody came down the lane, finished finished the, the shot, and that's exactly what you have to defend against. That's basic basketball rules. Um, so, but that those things happened, and obviously Michigan yeah. State Spartans capitalized well, on it. Another reason why it was so close is because there was like a certain portion of the second half where it's almost like. Uh, consecutive uh, offensive possessions by Michigan State ended in an, in a turnover with uh, Illinois. Illinois would capitalize on uh, said turnovers. Yep. So that's why it was so this game was so close. Good win for the Michigan State Spartans. Um, they improved to uh, 18 and eight, and the Fighting Illini um, regressed to 16 and nine. Um, and let's go ahead and move on to the Maryland Terrapins versus the Nebraska Cornhuskers. And um, who would like to start out? Paolo or Samir? I'll start off. Samir? Right. So uh, before I dive into yesterday's game, I must talk about one of the best performances by the Terps in the Mark Turgeon era last week, which spans nine years. So uh, last week they were facing Illinois at Illinois the team we just mentioned, and the team, uh, Maryland, was 2-4 and four in road games this season up to that point. This match against a team that was tied with them atop the Big Ten standings heading into Friday night. 
And this game was a dogfight, like, like the Michigan State-Illinois game. Illinois early on was picking apart Maryland's man-to-man defense, and they opened up to a 29-15 lead. Basically, their lead was as big as the amount of points we scored. The, it was in at that point, I believe it was like the eight-minute mark, that Turgeon called to switch to the zone defense, which he has employed often this season, compared to sparingly in the first eight years of uh, – with the Terps, and uh, the Maryland deficit was down to two at halftime due to that uh, great uh, uh, zone defense. And so they used it frequently in the second half, and then the Illini's hot shooting turned to ice. They couldn't buy a bucket after halftime as Maryland evaporated that deficit and had a nine-point lead halfway through the second half. The The Illini were able to cut that lead down to one with eight minutes left, but never got closer. And the Terps, the the key part about this game was that the Terps got key contributions from players outside of the main two guys of uh, Jalen Smith and uh, their point guard as well. And uh, no, no, the point guard. Aaron Wiggins. Anthony Cohen. Cohen, yeah, my bad. Yeah, they couldn't get. They got contributions from the. They did uh, get contributions from them, but they got to. Uh, Key point, uh, buckets from Dante Scott, who had five key points during the first half comeback. Daryl Morcel, who had uh, several slashing buckets down the stretch. And Eric Ayala, who had several key threes after going this, after going six of, out of like 34 up to this point. And he was horrific from three for the past two months. He managed to hit like two or three threes in that game against Illinois on Friday. So fast forward to last night, Maryland versus Nebraska. Maryland uh, uh, had it kind of easy in the first half. They opened up to like a 11-point lead at or 12-point lead at halftime. And then uh, in the second half, they got the same looks they got in the first half, but they just couldn't execute as Nebraska kept chipping away slowly, point by point by point. That 10-point lead that was uh, there, 10-plus point lead that was there in the first half, got dwindled down to single digits within the last, like, eight minutes and then became a one-possession game within the last four minutes. But they were – the Terps were bailed out by a key uh, Jalen Smith block with about, like, two seconds left on the last uh, Nebraska possession. And then uh, Maryland got the ball back. They ended up um, Nebraska fouling Cowan, making free throws, and then that was pretty much the game over. So even though Nebraska was the worst team or second worst team in the conference, Maryland still managed to win in a uh, two point game. Two point, yeah, it was a, it was definitely it was definitely a competitive uh, match. Nebraska gave Maryland everything they possibly could. Um, I do I would say that Maryland um, offensively looked actually pretty solid. They they moved the ball very well, especially on the outside. Even though they've got some um, good perimeter players. Um, or, or good interior players. Their perimeter play was was really good. Um, they really got the ball moving. Shot better at three than they have the past couple games. Um, and yeah, I was I was overall offensively impressed with Maryland. It was just they lay, they let they let up way too many layups, way too many easy buckets. Hmm. They also had 17 turnovers to go along with that. I mean, they really kind of shot themselves in the foot. They had an opportunity to, to be much better than this, but that's kind of been Maryland's MO. They they kind of shoot themselves in the foot for a certain amount of time, and then, you know, they <laughs> they finish winning the game. Yeah, and despite that. And they're 24. Like, they're, they're impressive. They are a really good team. 
And so even impressive. though, I, yeah, it's, it's impressive to see the fact that even though they, they struggle and they go through, you know, some, some, some hardships during their games, they still find a way to win at the end of the day. That's that's pretty impressive. That's that's a test to their metal. So and uh, this and uh, what's uh, what's really nice is that the, these uh, players, Maryland players, they're not saying "Yay, we won." They're saying uh, right. "The best is yet to come." Uh, exactly. That uh, we haven't been playing our best, and that uh, even though we're twenty and four, who cares about our record? We still have uh, we like in years past. Like Anthony Cowan has been through this mm-hmm. cycle through the past three years right. that. Uh, they have a, this February lull where they just completely bottom out right. uh, during the toughest part of their schedule. And so it shows a uh, complete 180 that they're playing so well and that they've gone, hopefully, that they've gone through this uh, roadblock of yeah. uh, performing better than they have in years past, in February's past. Colin, what are your thoughts? It is impressive how... They come back and win the game after shooting themselves in the foot, like you guys mentioned, because it doesn't matter if you win big or you win ugly. All that matters is that you get the win. But as I mentioned this before in a previous episode, um, they cannot keep having these uh, slow starts or shooting themselves in the foot moments come tournament time because the opponents can capitalize on the Terps' mistakes, and there will be no uh, room point. for error. There will be no right. room for error. There will be no basically there will be no chance for Maryland to come back and win the games like they like they're doing now for sure. Come March, I completely agree with that, and I'm really excited to see how Maryland ends up. I'm excited to see them finish the regular season. I'm also excited to mm-hmm. see how they'll play in tournament play. That is a team we'll definitely keep our eye on going forward. And I Lambert. just wanted to m- mention that it was also Mark Turgeon's 200th win as uh, oh, Maryland's uh, head coach. So congratulations, Mark yep. Turgeon, 200 wins. That's an impressive feat. I mean, to to coach for that long anyways, like that's multiple seasons. And But to also get as many wins, congratulations to uh, Coach Turgeon. Um, that's yeah, an that's, amazing accomplishment. Yeah, that's about 20 wins per year or a little more, a little less than that. But yeah, yeah, just a little bit less than that. That's that's pretty impressive to be that consistent with one team. Um, yeah, it's not easy to do. Um, but without further ado, we're going to go ahead and move on. Um, we're going to actually talk about a little bit of other college basketball news. You want to go ahead? Or- yep. Uh, so, yeah, the top uh, nine is – Pretty much the same as last week in terms of the AP 25 with Seton Hall rising from 12 to 10. The other, uh, So Maryland still stays at number nine. The other team that vaulted up several spots was actually Penn State. We haven't talked about them, but they have won also seven straight games, just like how Maryland has also won seven straight games. And now Penn State is comfortably at number two in the Big Ten as they jump from 22 to 13 overall. But uh, gone are the Michigan schools from the top 25 as Michigan State, a preseason favorite to win the Big Ten, like I mentioned earlier, has completely fallen off the top 25 after losing three straight games before yesterday's uh, come-from-behind win against Illinois. So, yep, so the Big Ten, the Big Ten has uh, fewer teams because uh, Michigan State has fallen off, uh, Rutgers has fallen off, uh, Illinois may not be there in the top 25 come next week, so it's Starts basically switching around. Yeah, and it's Probably. basically just Maryland and Penn State right there, one yeah. and two. 
Who would have thought that you yeah. have Maryland and Penn State as the two as best the top two teams in the Big Ten? No Ohio State, no Michigan, no Michigan State, no Indiana. Talk about a change in the times. Um, yeah, I mean, it's really curious. I mean, for those of you who are Maryland and Penn State fans, this is amazing times to be college basketball fans. You know, you guys have to be happy for your teams, for these teams that have struggled, I guess, over the past couple of years. Um, so it's good to see that you've got some new blood mm-hmm. um, basically um, destroying the teams like Michigan and Michigan State and Ohio State who have been winning for multiple years. So exciting stuff, um, exciting for college basketball. Um, look forward to seeing the rest of that season. And without further ado, we're going to go ahead and move into our next segment and one of our personal favorites, and that is the birthday game. Happy birthday to everyone born on February 12th. Feliz cumpleaños. So on February 12th, we're currently, so we've done this game about six times this year. It's currently 4-1-1 in favor of Paolo. And so losing once again. (laughs) Yeah, let's see if uh, Nathan can rebound from the stretch, poor stretch. Very poor stretch. Three game losing streak to be to be uh, exact. Like Michigan State, (laughs) exactly. Yep. So, like Michigan State, can you bounce back and come from behind and win? So, first off, we have a rapper whose real name is Radrick Delantic Davis, more often known as Gucci Mane. Hey, Gucci Man. So, Nathan, how old is Gucci? Hmm, this is a good question. Um, this rapper. Yeah, Gucci Mane. Um, is it Gucci Mane or Mane? I'm pretty sure it's Gucci Mane. Oh, man. I think I, I heard when he was um, – he did this one song with Bruno Mars, and I think he introduced himself as Gucci Mane. I'm pretty sure. Mm. And, yeah, no, I'm I'm not, like, well-versed on, on rappers. I know it's, it's pretty bad. <laughs> But um, if I were to guess, he looked he looked like he was older than Bruno Mars when I saw it, quite a bit older. So I would say probably four. No, no, that's too old. Let me go with 37. No, 36. 36. Walk it in. Okay. <laughs> Follow? Wow. Gucci Mane. No, man, I don't know this. He's probably doing that. 47. Uh, he is 39. 39. Next up, we're going to an actor who you know as Cable in DC Comics in in, uh, Deadpool and more often as Thanos in Avengers, Josh Brolin. So, Paulo, how old is Josh Brolin? Oh, boy. Basically, how old is Thanos or Cable? I'll say 42. Nathan? I am inevitable. <laughs> Josh Brolin. Um, I think he's in his 50s. I'm going to guess 54. So close. 52. Of course. Next up. Josh Brolin is, might I say also, he's pretty swole for somebody yeah. who's 50, like 52. I mm-hmm. mean, this guy keeps himself in really good shape. Of course, if, if especially if you have to play and play as Thanos, you have to be built. You you better you better hope so. <laughs> and yeah, cable. Yeah. Cable is also do a lot of uh, uh, CGI for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Nathan, back to you. It's a retired tennis player. He reached number one in two thousand three. The Spaniard, Juan Carlos Ferrero. Uh, he was good in the earlier earlier last decade, yeah. the two thousands. 
Once he reached number one in 2003, basically it was before the Federer Nadal era. Yeah. Plum during the Roddick era or during the Sampras and yeah. Leighton Hewitt too, mm. uh, Andre Agassi. Um, oh, Juan Carlos Ferrero. I'm going to guess 42. I'm early 40s. Paulo? 45. Guys are 0 for 3. He is 40 years old. Of course. Well, at least we're around the, <laughs> yep. the era. You know, now, Paulo, this former Argentine center back and defender for Man City, Nicolas Otamendi. You know oh, who he I is, right? Uh, I forgot his age. <laughs> oh, do you, do you know who he is, though? <laughs> well, I forgot his age. Uh, Nicholas Otamendi. Oh. Since he's currently playing. Probably have a good idea, though. Or uh, since you pay attention to. Uh, I'll say 32. 32? Nathan, copy, higher or lower? Yeah, I was just thinking, should I match that? Um. Dalo, are you pretty confident about that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to say 34. Balo! Oh, you should have said yes. <laughs> to be honest, that was a lucky oh, guess. Man. Well, yep. you, know your, you know your players. You know your okay, players. so Nathan, this former Cowboys and Titans running back, DeMarco, <laughs> I know, DeMarco Murray from Oklahoma. Oh, my goodness. I think you guys are doing this on purpose. <laughs> um, Samir's the one who selected it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's not Paolo. I'm sorry. I should blame Samir. Yep. Um, I'm gonna guess uh, 34. Um, please don't get this right. This would not be okay. I would love to get this right. <laughs> Let's see. Well, not how be old? Okay. I'm going to same answer. 32. Follow! <laughs> He's actually the same age as Otamendi, 32 years old. <laughs> the thing is, even though uh, you guys can't see it, uh, the look on Nathan's face yes, is, yes, is yes. a look of seething. Yes. And so, Paulo, uh, we have this player. He's more often known as Bobby Three Sticks. RG3. RG3's birthday is also today. Bobby Three Sticks. What? Where did he get that nickname? Because it's Bobby. I know Robert and Bobby, but Three Sticks. Yeah. Because it's uh, Robert Griffin the Third. Three uh, Sticks. And when he got injured, everybody uh, just put uh, the symbol of the, <laughs> of the handicap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Poor RG Three, man. <laughs> so how old is RG Three? Hello. I'm gonna say he's thirty. Nathan. The guy drafted in 2012, if I remember. Yep. Yep. Behind Andrew Luck. Behind Andrew Luck. And it's 2020 now. He was definitely, definitely played at least two years in Baylor. Doing the math. He played more than that. Guys, I have to get one, so I have to think about this, okay? Um, (laughs) You can go one, you can go up, down, or match. Yep. Uh, smart money would be to match, right? But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go 29. Follow. <laughs> See? It's 30 again. <laughs> three oh, straight win. I'm three straight. And the last player is the uh, oldest on the slate. 
He's the winningest player in NBA history with 11 titles from 1956 to 1969 Bill. with the Celtics. Yep, Bill Russell. So, Nathan. Yeah, I'm going to guess 453. <laughs> Pretty much. Bill Russell. The man. ageless. He, the ageless is right. Um, he wears white hair probably better than anybody other than maybe Morgan Freeman. Mm. He's um, got a beard. <laughs> he's got a great beard. Yeah, great beard. Um, Bill Russell. I'm going to guess he is 90. That's my guess. I would guess around, he's around that age range, I would think. Yeah. I'm going to go 86. Wow. Four straight. Wow. wow. Are you kidding me? Either, either Paolo just has some sort of mind telepathy where he is connecting with the players around the world and reading their brain. I'm not a psychic. <laughs> I have no idea how Paolo. I know, just got four straight. Four straight. That is yes. phenomenal. My goodness. Yes. Well, it matches the amount of wins that you had previously, but now you have Dude, five, one, and one. Yep. At five to one on the Jeez. year. And I must say, that is an impressive, that's impressive, Paolo. It's pretty good, man. Thank you. Yep, so we're going to move on to our next segment, uh, yes. which is the NBA. And so, and let's let's go ahead and get into some of our NBA trade trade deadline recap. So, obviously there's a lot to talk about with the NBA trade deadline. There was a lot of trades that went down. Um, but because of time constraints, we're not going to go over every trade that went down. We're going to go ahead and give one trade that or one team that we believe won the trade deadline and then one team that we believe lost the trade deadline. Now, I want to add in some other factors to that. It doesn't necessarily have to be. Um, it could be a team that won. So or was a winner. You can consider them one of the winners. It doesn't have to be your number one winner. It can just be a winner. Um, or a team that lost. And this doesn't have to necessarily have to be the team that lost the most. So if you feel like there's a team that was underrated in terms of what they won, you can add that as well. So mind you, this is our opinion. So we don't is, if you don't agree with us, right. that's all right. This is completely subjective. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all up to you. Um, plus we have a whole rest of the season to see how this plays out as well as the playoffs. Um, so there's multiple opportunities to see um, what actually ends up happening. So, um, Paolo, we'll start out with you since you um, won the birthday game. What is your winner and what is your loser for the trade deadline? So right now I'm going to go with one winner. Uh, I'll go with the Miami Heat because mm-hmm. they got Andre Iguodala from the Memphis Grizzlies. And I think they also got Jay Crowder in there. As well, yep. As well. When we first found out about this trade – we didn't know what was uh, the compensation that Memphis got back. Right. We found out that uh, they gave up Justice Winslow, mm-hmm. uh, Dion Waiters, who then got cut. Right. And I think that was it. Right? And James Johnson, and James who Johnson. just who got dealt to the uh, Timberwolves. Right. Timberwolves. So they got they got a guy, Andre Iguodala, who was very instrumental in those uh, championship wins for the Golden State Warriors. As he would come off the bench for guys like um, Kevin Durant at the time, mm-hmm. and even maybe uh, Clay Thompson. Yeah. 
And then they have uh, Jay Crowder, who is a French starter, but most likely is a backup because uh, Miami's got so many players yeah. that are uh, clear-cut starters. There's a log jam at that three and four position. I mean, they are very deep. Yep, with yep. Butler, with him, with others and like Duncan Robinson. Another thing about Andre Iguodala, they with Andre Iguodala and Jay Crowder, not only they added some uh, shooters, they also added uh, a veteran presence yep. towards a young team. So that's why I think uh, the Miami Heat are the winners in this one because they are cl- clearly going for the NBA title. Definitely, definitely. They're definitely going for it. The um, environment of Pat Riley mm-hmm. and Eric Spolstra definitely fosters that. They have a very strong environment that, that really um, encourages winning, encourages doing your best. Um, I, do, I do think that's a great move for the Miami Heat, having Andre Iguodala on board. I like that choice. And uh, what would be your loser um, for the trade deadline, Paolo? Oh, man, I can go. <laughs> a lot of different ways. Who, go different who ways. did you choose? Um, I mean, it's tough. Right now, I have uh, the Pistons and um, uh, the Timberwolves. But the Timberwolves kind of save themselves a little bit, just a little bit with the D'Angelo Russell trade. So right now, I have to go with the Pistons because they're going to a fire sale right now by uh, trading away players, including their key player, Andre Drummond, who I did say that he could get traded, but I had a feeling he was going to stay. And I did say, like, the Rockets. I was wrong about that. He got dealt to the Cavaliers, which is still not a good team. (laughs) But, um, I mean, the Cavs will take that because you can see they're clearly done with uh, Tristan Thompson. Yeah. So... Andre Drummond gets a new start, although I don't know how happy he'll be there because it is Cleveland. Andre Drummond is also a loser in this uh, trade deadline because he gets dealt from one bad team to another bad team. True. That's true. But basically the Pistons made this this season known that, yeah, we're not going anywhere. But might as well just uh, get rid of everybody and just focus on the future. Like those choices. Mm -hmm. Samir, what do you got? Unfortunately, Paulo took my winner because I was going to say the same exact thing. Uh, you can say it. Yeah, I mean, like, the Heat, I, uh, I mean, I, I'll say also the Heat, but I'll also give my second mention. First is because they got a steal in not, not only nabbing Andre Iguodala, but also got Jay Crowder as well. And like Paulo mentioned, all they got rid of was uh, Justice Winslow, Waiters and Johnson, and Waiters and Johnson are lo- so no longer on the Grizzlies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> And only uh, Johnson got significant minutes, and he, he and he's got dealt to the uh, Timberwolves. Yeah. And uh, Crowder has been great with the the uh, Heat so far, as he's had games of 18-11, three assists, what, two steal, one block, and another game of 21 points, eight rebounds, three steals, in games against Portland and Golden State. So yeah, talk about a solid contributor off the bench. No, I think he may have been starting because. Uh, mm. At least uh, Jimmy Butler wasn't playing at, uh, in one or two of those games. So good start numbers, too. Yeah, exactly. And in terms of a second team, I would give a winner just uh, for argument's sake. I would say, hmm, I would say the Denver Nuggets, as they got rid of some uh, players that they didn't want off the end of, end of their bench and got back quality players in return to contribute for their team in the down the stretch as those uh, young end-of-bench players went to the Timberwolves for them to go in their rebuilding process. As for the loser, 
I would also say the Detroit Pistons because uh, and sticking with the Eastern Conference, I'll stick with the Pistons on this one. First, they got literally pennies on the dollar in dealing Drummond to a fellow uh, Central Division foe in the Cavaliers for John Henson, Brandon Knight, and a 2023 second-round pick. Mm. And they didn't even make any deals with Markeith Morris or Derrick Rose. That's true. That's true. That's a good as point. the latter has been playing exceptionally well and doesn't fit with their current re- rebuilding process. The Pistons could have gotten significant assets from a playoff team like the Lakers, a team interested in Rose, but didn't. And I think the thing was, Rose has been Derrick Rose has been injured for the past week or so. Yeah. And now they're on the they, uh, the Pistons are on a tailspin. They're two and eight in their last ten games, including losing four of their last five games. As for uh, another team that could be a loser is the Cavs, as they held on to veteran players that are not part of their rebuilding process again. Tristan Thompson and Kevin Love, and the former could have gotten some second round picks at the very least. I mean, I did say Kevin Love will get traded. At first I said Kevin Love was going to stay. Then I kind of changed my mind that he was going to get traded. But I kind of had a feeling Kevin Love was going to stay because his name has always been uh, mentioned in trade. Especially since um, uh, his first year with LeBron James. I mean, it's been been a long time coming with that. Mm -hmm. And Nathan, you? Yeah, so I would I, I I like those choices for you guys. Those are those are good choices. Um, my my first choice for a winner actually would be the Hawks. The Hawks um, they racked up. I mean, not only did they get Clint Capella, um, which was really the big first starter um, in terms of the first trade, um, they also acquired uh, Dwayne Dedman back with the Rockets' 2020 second round pick, as well as the Heat's 2021 second round pick. They also acquired Scalabissier, and the key here is cash. They, ca- they, they acquired 1.7 million cash. They also traded for Derek Walton Jr. and also received 1.3 million in cash. So the Hawks not only um, uh, beefed up their interior, but they also added a couple young players that they can develop, as well as added three, $3 million in cash, um, and as well as two second round picks. So. The Hawks were definitely willing, willing and dealing uh, for this trade deadline. I've got to give them the, the most credit for this, um, for making those moves. And the, the really the big key in this move is that this move is to help keep Trey Young there. As we know, in today's um, day and age with young players, you see a lot of guys moving from city to city. Those guys want to have winning players with, the, with them as they try to obviously win championships. Um, so this is a big move for the Atlanta Hawks to get Clint Capella there, along with John Collins and mm-hmm. Kevin Herter and so many other guys that they've got. And they also were able to prevent from trading any of their major young players. They, they And to me, they, they win um, for the trade deadline. And then my loser would actually be the Portland Trailblazers. They failed to acquire... Um, Kevin Love, somebody that they were looking to have, have been looking to acquire for the past two years. Um, they had assets, in my opinion, opinion sure. um, to, to go ahead and do that. But then um, they were also injury ravaged because they didn't have their uh, starting uh, power forward for much right. of the season and, uh, and their starting center in Narkic. Yeah, they have, they have been injury ravaged, and that was one of the biggest reasons why they needed Kevin Love. 
Um, but it's also hard to trade injured players. So that is one of the things that definitely comes in. But they're one of the bigger losers because now in terms of a playoff push, it seems a lot less likely, especially with how tough the Western Conference is right now. Um, the Western Conference um, is very is very tough. They, they actually have a 28-game um, lead over the Eastern Conference as a whole in terms of wins and losses. That tells you how tough the Western Conference is right now. Obviously, the number eight seed is, is at 500 with the Grizzlies. Um, so for the, the Portland Trailblazers not able to make a move, um, that really um, takes a shot in the foot um, with, with their opportunity to possibly make the playoffs. Speaking about the Portland Trailblazers, as we move on from the trade deadline, that's one of our odds and ends. We want to talk a little bit about the Lillard non-call um, in a pretty egregious non-call um, that happened a couple of nights ago. Um, Damian Lillard and the Trailblazers were facing off against uh, from Miami. Utah. It, was a, it was Utah, right? Utah Jazz. Um, and uh, there was a clear goaltending um, on Damian Lillard and Damian Lillard definitely uh, voiced his um, his frustrations at the end. And it was pretty amazing to see how both Damian Lillard, the coach, um, uh, C.J. McCollum afterwards in the media were also very vocal, which is typically you don't see because players don't want to get fined. But these guys were not even worried about that whatsoever. You can tell that this team really wants to win. It's unfortunate that they are ravaged with a lot, with a lot of injuries mm -hmm. and they've been experiencing what they've been experiencing lately. But it was pretty amazing to see their resolve and also the way that they kind of grouped around Damian Lillard because he was clearly frustrated um, at the call. And he usually doesn't even outlash kind of at, at anything relative to that, but he was pretty upset. Um, what are you guys' thoughts on that call and, as well as the game, if you have some thoughts? Yep, so Gobert illegally goaltended that shot, and then the refs went to the monitors but didn't review anything because they said they couldn't, can't review a non-call yep. after the game. And so that's what got Lillard to go all berserk. And, yeah, I completely agree with Lillard and uh, the uh, Portland Trailblazers as they got robbed. I mean, people do say that it was for a game, I think it was like a game tying shot, so it wouldn't have really right. mattered. It could have possibly really mattered if it had gone overtime. overtime. Yeah. Probably. yeah. So it may or may not have really mattered in the stretch, but still, it's so. It could have taken away a potential uh, win for the Trailblazers. Yeah. And. You need every win. Yeah, and for a team that's now like in the eighth, ninth place trying to fight for a playoff spot in a heavy Western Conference, like, like Nathan mentioned. And the good thing is. He wasn't fine for that for his outburst. Yeah. Uh, the Lillard, uh, the NBA rescinded or or prevented it, uh, any fines going his way, right. because they knew they were in the wrong. Yeah. And and the the thing is, they, there should be a change in this going forward because this is going to happen more times than not in the near future. And so I think there should be a even non calls should be automatically reviewed if it's. Uh, potentially game-changing in a scenario like this. Yeah, no, I agree, and it, that's it. Especially in the last two minutes of a game. Especially in the last two minutes, you know, you you just never want to be the reason why um, a game somebody doesn't either win a game or doesn't have the opportunity um, to go to overtime. It's it's one of those situations where if it's so egregious, like 
there has to be something that I completely agree with that. Um, and because you right wish, now, yeah. uh, the Trailblazers are the outside looking in in the right. Western Conference. They're at the ninth uh, spot in the West, just right behind the Grizzlies, who have the last um, playoff spot in the West. Yeah, and they're holding on to that, that eighth spot with a death grip. Yeah. Those guys are not letting go of that eighth spot. So they, the Portland Trailblazers have to fight for every game that they can okay. get. Looking at their schedule, and I'm talking about the, the Trailblazers, since the game against the Jazz, they beat the Heat at home but lost to the Pelicans. Speaking of Memphis, they have to go to Memphis yep. today, so that game should be starting soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, then they have a home game against the Pelicans yet again. And then they have another home game against the Pistons, Celtics, going to Indiana, and then they have to go to Atlanta. Nice. So all Eastern Conference teams. That's some, for the rest of February. Yeah. yeah. So some Eastern Conference teams, some weak teams, but some, uh, again, stronger teams like the Celtics and Pacers. Yeah. And they play again against similar teams in their ranking in the Pelicans and uh, Grizzlies. So yeah. they have to win every game at this point. And, and Lillard has to continue playing at an MVP exactly. level. If, if it wasn't for the fact that Lillard, um, that the Trailblazers are losing – Lillard would be in the MVP discussion, and honestly, he'd be my favorite. His stretch within the past couple of weeks, what he's done has been fantastic. It reminds me a lot of kind of what James Harden did last year. Probably not to the same extent, but similar. Um, he has been playing lights out, um, and it's unfortunate. Obviously, it's in a losing effort. Um, like we said, there's been multiple injuries, other factors that have contributed to their losing. Uh, but we will see if the Trailblazers can get back on place or on pace. And and speaking about um, some of these paces and kind of playoff teams in general, we're just going to go a general overview of the East and Western Conference. Um, a couple specific teams we want to talk about. Um, Toronto Raptors obviously have been unbeatable um, for the past few games. Um, few games? Had, I would say like a past month. Well, yeah, to be exact, they, <laughs> they won 15 in a row. Um, and they're 19-7 away, um, which is one of the most impressive away uh, records yeah. in the NBA. They're 21-7 at home. Um, and, yeah, they have been phenomenal despite losing Kawhi Leonard in the offseason, where a lot of people believe that the Raptors would uh, were regress. They've actually improved um, at this point um, in the season. They've been pretty amazing. What are you guys' thoughts on the Toronto Raptors? So they, have, they have been impressive, and like you said, Ideally, they will regress after losing someone like a Kawhi Leonard, and then a year after trade away to Martin Rosen. Right. But uh, the Raptors are on a roll. I, this is one of the best uh, seasons I've seen of Kyle Lowry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is playing out of his mind and comparatively the, to the most of this past couple of seasons. And the thing is, they're playing this without like s- several of their players get uh, injured. Like they've had to Kyle Lowry miss several games for a stretch. They've missed like uh, players like. Uh, Ibaka, who's been out for several games, like over the past uh, two weeks or so, even Marcus Gasol has been injured. He's been a key center for them. Yeah. I mean, they've gone through these stretches. Even like remember, beginning of the season, they were without Pascal Siakam for a significant stretch. And despite that, they're still number two in the in the conference and winning 15 straight games despite the heavy amount of injuries. Like I think there's like a there's I've seen a list on Twitter of like the. Like the top five teams that have most been injury ravaged this season, like Wizards are up there in like the top three, and it's like all bottom dwelling teams. Raptors are there at like number five in terms of the most key losses by uh, of uh, key, most games lost. 
from key players. Yeah. And they're number five, and yet with despite that, they've won 15 straight games. Yeah, yeah it's a testament to phenomenal coaching. And that's yeah, exactly. one of the things that people underestimate in today's um, day and age when it comes to the NBA um, is that coaching doesn't have a big effect. But that is false. I mean, you can tell that the Raptors are coached very well. Um, you can tell that they have resolve as a team. They also understand um, the situation. They, they've been here before. They know what this looks like. They're a veteran um, squad, so they, they, you know, they're familiar with how this is. Um, and I have to say they have been impressive. Now, I am curious, I still am curious, that come playoff time, um, how well will they perform against um, other teams um, of, this, of their caliber in a seven-game series? Now, I'm not... I'm not discounting how good the Raptors are. I'm just curious because Pascal Siakam is, has been obviously playing fantastic. He's been playing at an all-star level. But this will be his first playoff kind of experience where he's the number one option. Mm-hmm. Um, it won't be Kawhi Leonard um, winning towards the end of the game. It's going to be on Pascal Siakam. And I am curious to see. Obviously, Kyle Lowry is going to help in that, in that, that regards. He, he's never been that great of a playoff um, a player, um, if you look at his past statistics. Um, but it's anything is possible. But that is the one thing I'm curious with the Raptors. How well will this translate to the playoffs? So speaking about the Raptors winning 15 straight, we'll see if they can still uh, they can extend that to 16 as they're facing the Brooklyn Nets in Brooklyn early in the second quarter. It's um, Brooklyn Nets 30, Raptors 21. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's still early. It's still, still first early, quarter. Early, early. But that's Gotta pretty impressive for that. them. And, in fact, if the playoffs were to start today, it would be the Raptors versus the Nets in a second-game <laughs> series. So, um, so yeah. in that case, you'll have to have a you know, healthy Kyrie Irving. Most Because definitely. he's been out for the past several days, been out for the past like few months prior months, to that. Yeah. You definitely would need a healthy Kyrie Irving. Um, but it is exciting to see what the Raptors are doing in spite of not having Kawhi. And then we'll go ahead and go a quick overview of the Eastern Conference. We've got the Bucks sitting at number one at 46 and seven. That's an 86 percent um, winning winning percentage. They are just insanely good. 25 and three at home. At home. They've been amazing. Celtics are sitting at the number three spot. That's they bumped over the Heat, um, who the Heat were used used to be at the three spot. Celtics are at 37 and 16. Heat are at 35 and 18. Sixers are at 34 and 21. They are on a three three game winning streak. They've been playing very well of late, especially last night. Ben Simmons had a triple double, was fantastic. I think 26, 12, and 10 was this triple double. Mm-hmm. Amazing game for them. Uh, the Pacers 31 and 23. They are that nasty, you know, kind of great grind team. Um, they've been playing pretty poorly of late, uh, losing six straight. Um, but Jeez. we'll see if they can get back on the bandwagon or get back on the wagon there. The Nets and Magic round out the 7 and 8 spot, 24 and 28 for the Nets, 23 and 31 for the Magic. And I believe the Wizards are number 9. Wizards are number 9. They've improved. It, it, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's something. you got to give it to them. You know, they, they're, they're improving. You know? so are, it's, it's, there's hope. It's like there's not, there's, it's, they're not completely out of it. I mean, if you were to look at it realistically speaking, I mean, they're only like three or four games back from the, you know, from the three games to be exact from the eight spot. The winners so, are 19 and 33. The Magic that have the eight spot, they are 23 and 31. Right. So, they, I mean, they're three games out of the, the eight spot. Now, 
if you're the Wizards, I mean, making the playoffs at this point, what does it mean for you? I mean, it's a good experience for the guys, good experience for the players. Especially really the younger, crowd, younger group of players like Rui Hachimura, for sure. like Troy Brown. And I know Bradley Beal would love to be in the playoffs. He's talked about, you know, obviously winning. Um, you know, it, it's really it would be really good for the Wizards to have the opportunity to go on a playoff stretch run, see what they can do in the last 20, 25 games of the season, see if they can improve on that. That really can, you know, help your team and kind of figure out who they're going to be and who they are. Um, so that would be curious to see if they can if they can actually do that. Um, then below the Wizards is the Bulls. They're also at 19 wins but 36 losses. And Pistons are also at 19 wins but 37 losses. That's number 11. Hornets are at number 12, um, 17 and 36. And your New York Knicks are at 17 and 37. They continue to lose at number 13. Who are playing the Wizards right now? Who are playing yep. the Wizards? So two two uh, two bottom feeding teams are facing off against. Wizards are winning 36 to 32 in New York with uh, seven minutes 36 left in the second quarter. Not yeah, bad. Knicks continue to lose. <laughs> that's pretty. That's pretty. Uh, although, although this game could go either way. Yeah, exactly. Could go either way. Could Since it's in uh, Madison Square Garden. True, true enough, true enough. Although they, they got, got their issues to deal with with their owner. Yep, yeah, and that's oh, a separate yeah. issue. I mean, it's, yeah, that's yeah. They've, they've got plenty of issues there. Um, and then the Atlanta Hawks, fifteen and forty. Wow, it's a lot of losses. And the Cavaliers at thirteen and forty. The season's a wash. Next, they're looking forward to uh, next season. <laughs> next season is is definitely the goal. So um, yeah, a lot of help needed there. And we've got on the Western Conference, we've got the Lakers at forty and twelve. Um, sitting at the number one spot, the Nuggets at 38 and 16 at the number two spot. Um, they are actually on a four-game winning streak. They've been playing very well late. Um, the Clippers at 37 and 17 at the number three. Jazz at number four at 35 and 18. We've got the Rockets at 34 and 20 at the number at the number five spot, and we've got the Oklahoma City Thunder at number six, 32 and 22. Um, Mavericks number seven, also 32 and 22, technically a tie. Um, but the Thunder would have the tiebreaker. Grizzlies are above 500 at 27 and 26, and we got the Trailblazers at 25 and 30. Spurs at 23 and 31 at the number 10 spot. Pelicans at 23 and 31 as well tied, but the Spurs would have the the um, the upper hand there. The Kings at 21 and 32. Suns at 21 and 33. The Timberwolves at 16 and 36. And the Golden State Warriors rounding out the very bottom of the NBA mm-hmm. at 12-3-2. Um, a lot to talk about going forward in terms of what the Warriors are. Has been some news that Stephen Curry will probably come back sometime in March. Um, that's the goal. Um, there's what about Clay Thompson? Clay Thompson, I've heard that they are wanting to keep him out for the season, that they don't really want to bring him back. Kind of like John Wall. Kind of like John Pretty Wall. Um, also, all like Kevin Durant. Somebody who's probably capable of maybe coming back if he wanted to. Um, there was actually a recent video on Instagram of him sprinting down the court and catching a football pass. Um, obviously, there's, it has nothing to do with cutting, <laughs> um, which is really the major thing. Um, but it is improvement, and it's good improvement to see from Kevin Durant. Um, so definitely um, pretty, pretty impressive. Um, as we're getting a, a good shot of uh, uh, Samir's fantasy uh, basketball squad, he's 
Unfortunately, uh, Chris. No, no, no. The score. The score. Of, of this. The score of this. Um, Milwaukee versus Indiana. Milwaukee's down by 20 points, 47 to 27 in the second quarter. Jeez. That's the Giannis effect for you. Yeah. When you don't have Giannis Antetokounmpo, things are not so easy. But we're going to go ahead and move on from that, from our NBA um, odds and ends. We're going to go ahead and move on to our NBA All-Star um, winning section. We're going to basically pick our NBA All-Star winners for each of the, the um, specific categories. We've got the skills skills um, challenge. We've got the three-point shooting challenge. Mm-hmm. We've got the dunk challenge and a couple other things that we'll talk about as well. Um, so um, let's go ahead and pull up. Um, let's start first with the NBA skills challenge. I got to say, I took a look at these uh, this year's participants. Mm-hmm. This were These were very tough calls. Yeah. Yep. I mean, you have the speedy Patrick Beverly. The lanky uh, guards in uh, Dinwiddie and Shai Gilgis Alexander and Chris Middleton, you can consider the same kind of build. In terms of the big men, agile de- defenders in Bam Adebayo, Pascal Siakam, who is very agile. De- uh, he's kind of like a KD kind of agile quickness. And Jason Tatum, who's a small forward who's the reigning champion in the skills challenge. So a lot of tough choices here. So, who goes first? Who wants to give their predictions as to who will be in the championship? Nathan? Most doesn't go first. Okay, so <laughs> I'll go first. My my thoughts in terms of the guards, I think who will go to the finals? I think it will be uh, Shai Gilkis-Alexander. And for the big men, Pascal Siakam with Siakam winning it all. I mean, it could be different. The matchups could be totally different. We could see uh, a guard versus a big man, a guard versus a big man. But... I'm going to say Siakam is going to win it all. Siakam. That's a good choice. He's very skilled. All right. For me, it's between Shai Gilles Alexander and Chris Middleton for the guards. Although, I'm going to be different. I'm going to go Chris Middleton in the finals. He'll face uh, – ooh, that's tough. I'm going to say um, Domantas Sabonis. Domantas Sabonis. And Sabonis wins. Really? I don't think he's – I think he's the least skilled out of this group. I like to go with guys that uh, that not many people will pick. I just have a feeling. I have a feeling Sabonis is gonna surprise some people, or he's gonna make me look like a fool. <laughs> one or the other. Yeah. One. Yep. One so or the other. I'm sticking with it. Toma Sabonis will okay. win the skills challenge. Toma Sabonis. All right. So two I big like men. It. So I think um, definitely see Shea Gilgis Alexander being in the in the finals in some way, shape, or form. Um, and then my other guy would be Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, I think he's um, very, very skilled. And I actually have him winning. Um, he, he just always seems like that type of guy that, you know, it's always the underdog, almost always underrated, and always seems to come out on top. So I give Spencer Dinwiddie the, um, the edge there, and I think he'll be uh, victorious. Um, and then let's go ahead and move on to the uh, three-point challenge. This was also tough. Yep. We have Davis Bartons, Devontae Graham, Joe Harris, Buddy Heald, Zach Levine in the home uh, in the home uh, city of Chicago, Damian Lillard, Duncan Robinson, and Trey Young. I've also listed their percentages. So uh, uh, Davis Bartons has shot the belt, uh, ball at uh, 43.1% from beyond the arc this season and for a career 41.2. 
Uh, Devontae Graham of the Hornets, 37.2 this season and 35.4 for his career. So pretty much below average, I would say. Uh, Joe Harris at around 40s, uh, 40.8 this season, 42.3 for his career. Buddy Heald, Zach Levine, and uh, Damian Lillard all below 40% this season from beyond the arc. Uh, Duncan Robinson at 43% this season, and and uh, Trey Young at surprisingly at 37% from beyond the arc. But then again, it's due to the amount of shots that he takes from beyond the arc, which is why his three-point percentage is all below what you would expect. So I went first last time. So, yeah, Paulo, who's your predictions for the finals? Damian Lillard and Dennis Bertans. And winning it all? By the way, Damian Lillard is going to be performing at the All-Star. Yeah, um, singing. He's going to be rapping, yep. Uh, I can't wait for that one. It should be interesting. <laughs> so I got Bertans and Lillard in the finals. But, man, I went back and forth on this. As much as I want to go with Bertans, I, I got to go with Lillard. Oh, name Dollar. Yeah. That's not a bad choice. I yeah. Really, I really want to go for Tons, but I have a feeling Lillard is going to come away with victory. And I, too, have uh, Lillard going to the finals because of the key uh, uh, point, which I mentioned last week, is that they're adding two new shots at around six feet beyond the three-point line. So right. that could be key for players that shoot beyond the arc, like, say, say Davis Bertans, Damian Lillard, Trey Young, yep. those kind of guys. So I'm going to have Damian Lillard, and I'm actually going to have a, a Heat player here and Duncan Robinson as he leads yeah. all these players in three-point percentage in 43.7%. Very underrated three-point yes. shooter. He definitely is. I don't, I don't know why people don't talk about him more often. <laughs> because he doesn't get major no, minutes, no, yeah. Unfortunately. But he's a yeah, he's very lethal. But do you think if he continues to perform like this, then oh, yeah. he's got no choice? This is going to give him a lot of notoriety. Whenever yeah. you hit the three point conversation, you know, some I I reckon it to kind of like Joe Harris, right? You know, a lot of people didn't know much about him um, until Did, he, he yeah he won it he won it one year yeah, and so um, yeah he's he's gotten a lot of notoriety since then, and that that does great things for your career. Um, I think Clay Thompson also was one of those kind of players. Um, was known for playing good defense, um, but really started to hit the, the spotlight when we saw what he did in the um, uh, in three point com- uh, three point contest. And then we had the, so. the Curry brothers facing each other off in the three point. Yeah, that was fun. I remember contest. that. That was that was enjoyable. It's too bad we don't have either one um, this year, yeah, especially Seth Curry. He's playing extremely well. Um, especially when uh, Doncic was injured. Especially when Luka Doncic was injured. So, um, but you know, we'll, well, I'm sure we'll have them in years to come. So your so picks? My, my, my picks um, would be Damian Lillard as well. So um, three I of us pick him in the finals. And then I also have Joe Harris in the finals. The reason mm. why I have Joe Harris in the finals is because he's a very good corner three-point shooter. So it's really key. It's also about volume as well as location. Joe Harris hits from everywhere on the on the court. Not to say that these guys don't, but Joe Harris is proficient from everywhere on the court. Um, so I have Damian Lillard, Joe Harris in the finals. I have Dame, Damian Lillard winning it um, for the three-point contest. I just think he um, is a fantastic three-point shooter, somebody who um, you know is also clutch 
which I think you have to kind of have um, in this kind of contest. So, yeah, Damian Lillard's going to be my winner uh, for the three-point contest. All we have to know is that the refs are going to screw him on this contest. <laughs> Thankfully, the refs won't have a lot of position to do so. Yeah, So exactly. he is in luck there. I mean, unless the, he, like, hits a shot at the buzzer and it's waved off or something. <laughs> That's very possible. Which is or possible. Let's say that the ball goes halfway down and then comes back up. That's possible. Then you know, they're, they're going to say, hey, you know, he, it went halfway down, a little bit, a little bit more than halfway down. Who knows? Uh, but then moving on to our dunk contest, and typically this is the major one of the evening, um, the one that people talk the most about. Um, and of recent years, we've had some pretty great um, dunk contests. We had, obviously, the face-off between Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon. Aaron Gordon should have won. And when Aaron yeah. Gordon should have won. Um, but it was impressive nonetheless. And one of those participants from, from that year, Aaron Gordon, is participating again this year. Um, he has also followed along Pat Connington, which is, for a lot of people is a surprise. But if you watch the way he dunks, um, with he's the Bucks, a pretty yep. impressive dunker. Yeah, with the Bucks. Um, then you have Dwight Howard, a fan favorite. He won uh, three times, years I ago. think. Yeah, three times. He had that run with uh, Nate Robinson for many years. Right. Yep. And he had that Superman dunk where he dunked from really it was a little bit over the, the free throw line, but still impressive nonetheless. Um, he also dunked, I think, on a 13-foot. Um, yeah, rim, yeah. Which is which is pretty impressive, <laughs> actually. Um, and then we also have the high-flying Derrick Jones Jr. from the Miami Heat. Um, this is a really interesting year. You've got several different type of dunkers. Who do you guys got? I'm going to go Dwight Howard and Derrick Jones Jr. And Dwight Howard wins. All right. Dwight yep. Howard. Dwight Howard at the age of, what, 30, 33, I think, 33? Probably. He's up there. Now, I just think now that Dwight's in the, in the dunk contest, I'm pretty sure he's very motivated to win this. It's and true. to show, like, hey, guys. I still have it. Right. Yeah. After all, yeah, after all these years. The NBA this year, so. At first, I was going to go with Aaron Gordon, and Aaron Gordon loses again, but <laughs> I don't want to do that to him. I actually have uh, Dwight Howard winning it all against uh, Aaron Gordon in the finals. Uh, okay. actually, no, actually, no, I have uh, Aaron Gordon winning it all over Dwight Howard. Okay. Vice versa. Nice. Because, uh, yeah, I think Pat Connaughton, he'll do some dunks, but I think it's – that white man kind of mentality that people think <laughs> white men can't dunk. Right, right. Oh, yeah, that reminds me. I wonder who the the judges are going to be. Yeah, this Wouldn't time that around. Be funny though, if Pat ended up winning. I know that'd be crazy. He comes out and he ends up having because if you if you guys have ever seen Jordan Kilgon, uh, oh, yeah, 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 Jordan Kilgon, yeah. Some of the most insane dunks. It's nasty what he's able to do. Like he's, he had this one dunk where he puts the ball behind his back. Aaron, this, I think Aaron Gordon got this from him. Puts the ball behind his back and literally reaches over backwards just to dunk with one arm. It's just yeah. I remember, I think it was a couple years ago, or three, four years ago. They had it on TNT that show where yeah. they were in a tournament contest. Jordan Kilgon with several other high flying dunkers. Yep. And, yeah, he's just unbelievable the way he dunks. And so Pat Condon could take some tips from him or take some tips from other YouTube videos. So, but, yeah, nevertheless, I think uh, Gordon pulls it off and gets his first uh, win of the dunk contest. I like the pick. Um, and it actually, um, I actually do have Aaron Gordon also in the finals and Derek Jones Jr. in the finals. I do believe that he's going to be 
um, the person facing off against Aaron Gordon. I think Derek Jones Jr. is a super high flyer. I am curious to see how much creativity he has. He's usually known for jumping way above the rim and having massive hops. But this is the dunk competition. You do have to add some creativity. Aaron Gordon, yeah. yeah, Aaron Gordon is phenomenal at that. He has amazing creativity. It's the reason why I believe he will end up winning. I also recently watched an interview where he was sitting down, look, taking a kind of a view of his highlights um, along with the ESPN um, speaker, and he was just explaining how much he wanted to actually win this year based off of his performance last year. He felt like he let the fans down. He felt like he could have done better. Um, and so this year, he's very motivated to win. Um, and I'm excited to see what he'll pull out of his hat um, this year. It's going to be pretty pretty interesting. I, I'm actually excited for this dunk competition because, you know, kind of part of me wants Dwight Howard to win because he's a Laker. But I want to see Aaron Gordon. I know he's a phenomenal dunker. Derrick Jones Jr., this being his first, he gets super high. So I'm curious to see um, what he'll do. And then obviously Pat Connington. Nobody knows anything about him. He could be a dark horse. That would well, be the great, he's season. the greatest unknown among this group. The greatest unknown. So we'll see how well known he is after this. Um, but that that will go ahead and do it um, for our All Star um, lineup in terms of our um, skill challenges. Um, do we have? Do you guys feel like you have a comfortable um, before we go on to the XFL? Do you want to give a quick prediction on who you think is going to win between the West and the East? I uh, think the West. I mean, it's pretty much Jordan versus uh, Giannis is the technical term, but yeah, it's it's <laughs> West versus East, yeah, basically. But yeah, Essentially. I, I think yeah, the West has more talent and and more depth, and I think they'll pull it off at the end. Yeah, given that they have that twenty four point extra bonus in the fourth quarter. This is true. This is true. Tyler, so, yeah. do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I think you said also uh, LeBron, right? Team LeBron? Yeah, I think so. Um, for the, going back to the dunk contest, I do I do wonder what what was Dwight Howard's plan mm-hmm. with Kobe. Because yeah. Kobe was supposed to uh, assist Dwight in the dunk contest. So. Before he passed away two Before weeks ago. Before he passed away. So. so I also have a feeling that with Kobe's passing, I think Dwight is going to be extra motivated to win the dunk contest. Awesome. Okay. All right. Well, let's go ahead and move on to the XFL. Um, We had a pretty um, amazing weekend um, this past weekend uh, with uh, several games on the slate. Um, Very, very competitive, I would say. Mm -hmm. In fact, um, it was reported that um, in just this weekend for the XFL, they had more, uh, they had higher ratings and the most views compared to all seasons that they had with the um, the whole season that they had with the um, AFL um, several years ago. Um, so obviously a pretty impressive start for the XFL. Um, you know, there were several games um, that were on the slate. The Dallas Roughnecks um, faced, a, faced off against – I'm sorry, let me pull this up okay. here. So actually. the first game we had the D.C. Defenders at Audi Field against uh, the Seattle Dragons. And I think that – I think that game was like 3.3 million viewers. Yeah, quite a bit. And uh, in terms of the popularity uh, at the games itself, all four of these games had about 17,000 people uh, fans. So great. Uh, so 
So for the XFL, it's good if they do it in the smaller venues. Yeah, of course, because like I said, 17,000, if you put it in, say, like FedEx Field, that will only fill up like the part of the lower bowl. Now, I will say for the DC Defender games, like the fans were very into this game, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of there was a lot of uh, fan uh, engagement from them, as opposed to you would feel from a Redskins game. They were invested from the start. It was uh, slow going for both teams, essentially. Pretty much, it was a low scoring first half, but then once the second half uh, started, the uh, uh, de- defenders started to hit their stride. They ended up winning uh, 31 uh, 9. Was it 31 19? Yeah. I would say they, they definitely lived up to their name, Defenders, because they played very well defensively in the first half, getting that interception return for a touchdown. Yep, it was a um, 70 yard pick six. Yep, 70 yard pick six. And just overall, I think they did a solid job um, holding Seattle. Um, hey, they look, they look, they look good. Um, Carl Jones looked pretty, pretty good in the game. The um, Ohio like State QB. Yeah, and he, it and wasn't easy though. Their play calling was very questionable until they did like the double reverse uh, for the touchdown to the tight end Kyrie Lee. Yeah. But uh, play calling can improve down the stretch. Of course, uh, since it's just the first. Yeah, game. it's just the first game. Obviously, I did find it um, interesting about uh, how the XFL is going. Um, like for the kickoff, you have the kicker kicking the kicking uh, the yeah. ball alone. alone. Yeah, that... until the ball is caught by the yeah. receiver, can anybody move? So everybody yeah. has to stay stationary. And both teams are at yeah, both teams are at their like opponents or the receiving teams like third. I think it's twenty five and thirty five yeah. yard line. Yeah. So it's like you have the kicker on one side of the field. You have the kick returner and both lines. Within the like thirty-five yard line, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's a straight on. It's almost like a line. So if you if you see it, it's like a line literally that's created. And what what it does is it leaves opportunities for more returns, which which is something I wanted the NFL to implement some sort of strategy that is not is not um, bad for the you know more, hitting, it, it, it but it's also safer. it's yeah, it felt safer. That's and that's kind of the one of the things that I saw that was like. It looked safer and it also looked more exciting because mm-hmm. you saw some pretty big returns over the weekend, and that's that's something that I wanted the NFL. So apparently, I didn't know is that when they do the kickoff, the ball has to pass at least the twenty yard line, and if it doesn't, then the return team start their possession and the opponent's forty five yard line. Right. So basically, like if you kick the ball out of bounds. Exactly. So I I thought I thought I'd find that interesting. Um, I did find it interesting. Or somewhat odd that um, after uh, a drive, mm-hmm. let's just say defense gets off the field on fourth down, it's punting, and they punt it away, and the reporters are there to interview them right, yeah. right on the sideline. I thought that was interesting, but at the same time, it could be a downfall because we had our first F bomb. Yeah, and I mean it's the heat. It's negative yeah. There. The the negative is that it's kind of like the heat of the moment. Yeah, so like yeah. if the guy has a pick six or does some sort of big hit or celebration, goes off the field, he'll obviously be very enthusiastic. Doesn't want to talk to the media exactly. or whatever. Yeah, so <laughs> right after the play, I would play. think that's something that could change. Yeah. Wait, just give him a minute to cool down, and then then go talk to them, and then you can hear the coaches of. Uh, Delivered a play call, right? Which I like. I and, like see, hearing that. And the referees, you can hear not just the referees, but when you're cha- when they're challenging, uh, when they're reviewing a uh, a play, mm. you can actually see the process of what they're reviewing. Right. So I, I find that interesting. 
So I also would... like the extra point. I think that's mm-hmm. another thing too. I think it was pretty creative how they had that set up. And I saw a couple people try for that three point um three point um play. One person actually converted. Not Jim Zorn. He only kept going for one point. <laughs> not Jim Zorn. Not 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 good old Jim Zorn. But yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. I thought it was pretty fun to see that. Yeah, because they're basically removing the extra point entirely right. and having a Three types of two-point conversions, exactly. essentially. A one-point conversion, two-point conversion, or three-point conversion with the offense on the field, depending on the different yardages. Now, I don't see the NFL adopting a lot of these um, these rules from the XFL. I don't think they're going to adopt like the XFL uh, extra point rules. But mm-hmm. I do think I can definitely see them adopting the new kickoff rule. Yeah, of yeah, course. They want to, they want to make it safer. They want to get rid of kickoffs, which I don't agree no. But I would think they would adopt the XFL's new kickoff rule. The only thing with the XFL, it it diminishes uh, the kickers, I would think. Mm -hmm. Because in the NFL, these kickers have a chance to make a game-winning field goal. Right. It feels like in the XFL, they're diminishing the the involvement of the kicker a lot. It's just kickoffs and punts, and that's it. Which I can appreciate, because I think they're wanting to get to pure football. Mm -hmm. And I I completely understand. I I like the idea, because it does go to more of a pure football. And what I love is they let the refs are letting them play. They're not making those bogus calls. Of course, they're going to get them wrong, but they're not going overboard like the NFL does. Exactly. So I like that part. That is a huge positive. And I just wanted to go ahead and point out some of the key statistics over the weekend. We have P.J. Walker, who was, I think, most impressive over the weekend. He had uh, 272 yards, four touchdowns, interception. He had a QB rating of 103.8. Now, he did have a 59% um, completion percentage, but he was very good over the course of the game. He played for the Houston Roughnecks. Houston, um, not Roughnecks, but the Houston. Yes, the Roughnecks. I thought it was the Dallas Roughnecks. No, that's Dallas Renegades. Yeah. Okay, Houston Roughnecks, my apologies. Houston Roughnecks, um, yeah, they won 37-17. Impressive victory for them. And then Cardell Jones was also very good. He was 16-26, 235 yards, two touchdowns with a 116.7 rating. He had the highest rating on the day. Um, and then another guy that's notable, Jordan Tamu, um, was very impressive in college as well. Uh, 20 of 27, 74% completion percentage, 209 yards of touchdown. Um, he had a 108.4 quarterback rating. Uh, for a couple of running backs, we have Matt Jones. He had carried the ball 21 times for 85 yards, 4.0 um, average. Um, Davon Smith, also 16 rushes for 79 yards and 4.9, 4.9 average. And then one of a uh, quarterback also had a high average. He had nine attempts for 77 yards, 8.6 average. Um, so he played well overall. Um, and then a couple of receivers. We had Dan Williams with six receptions and 123 yards. We had Nelson Spruce with 11 receptions and 103 yards. And Austin Prohl, five receptions for 88 yards, two touchdowns. Um, I like him, Austin Pearl. I do, mm. I do. And if Watch he ever gets, uh, he's the son of the great Ricky Pearl who played on the right. Rams. That's right. If he goes to the NFL, should he go to the NFL? I feel like I, I could see him be a New England pitcher. That's, that's I mean, he's the white guy, white guy receiver. <laughs> I know. If Tom Brady's still there, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they might change, change everything up if Tom Brady. I'm just saying he could be a good slot receiver for any NFL team, but. What I like about the XFL is that it gives uh, an alternative, not just to fans, but to uh, players. For sure. So the NFL, if a player doesn't make it in the NFL, 
they at least have an opportunity to go to the XFL right. and show everyone that they um, that they can play football and they can show NFL teams, hey, you missed out. Right. And if you want to sign me, you got to prove to me that you want now. me. Yeah. And uh, DC Defenders, they beat the Seattle Dragons. Houston Roughnecks beat the LA Wildcats 37 to 17 to the point where the LA Wildcats fired their defensive coordinator, Pepper Johnson, already. And then you had the New York Guardians led by quarterback Matt McGloin winning 23 uh, to 3 against the Tampa Bay Vipers. And then to close out week one was the St. Louis Battlehawks beating the Dallas Renegades in Dallas 15 to 9. And Vince McMahon, like I said, Vince McMahon is taking this way more seriously this time than the first time around. Yeah, I think the first time around he did it because he loved it. He really loved the idea of adding another alternative to the NFL, especially during a time when, you know, most things are kind of at a doldrum. People still want something exciting. They want football. They're still looking for football. As Samir has a picture of Big Ben um, as a West Virginia Mountaineer, um, he's got his big beard, sporting his big beard. Um, but yeah, I think I think the first time around he had the right intentions, and it just unfortunately what didn't work out because of investments and things like that. But now he also has investments um, from different uh, major corporations, um, so he's set in place to to um, be successful. I think Troy Aikman said it well over the weekend. He really believes in what um, this they could possibly do here. They have a really good um, kind of business plan and business model. Obviously, having deals with ESPN and other major um, uh, uh, TV corporations really helps their chances in terms mm-hmm. of you know getting their their name out there and getting people to view it. Obviously, they had a very successful first weekend. I'm very curious to see how they finish out this uh, this next seven weeks, um, and it should be fun. It should be exciting. I'm looking forward to it. I'm definitely going to go see a game. I told my little brother we're going to go see a game um, sometime this year. So. I'm looking forward to that. So for week two, we have the D.C. Defenders at home against the New York Guardians. And that's at 2 p.m. Saturday. And then, at, and then after that, um, at 5 on Saturday, which is at Fox, you have the Tampa Bay Vipers going to Seattle to face the Seattle Dragons. And then on Sunday, 2 p.m., which is on ABC, you have the Dallas Renegades going to Los Angeles to face the Los Angeles Wildcats, followed by at 6 p.m. on FS1, St. Louis Battlehawks against the Houston Roughnecks. I think overall this is an opportunity for um, players who aren't big names to become big names. I think with or guys that have been weekend, told or been told they're washed up. Exactly, you know, and I think like when you saw that the Houston quarterback um, in particular, um, he has a skill set that is very exciting to watch. He gets outside of the pocket, makes um, pretty, uh, pretty, pretty amazing plays. Um, some great throws down the field. So this is an opportunity for guys to make a name. You know, the XFL can make have their own name. Um, they can make their own play, name players. And this is a really good opportunity for those guys to do that. Cardell Jones, a name that people are familiar with in college football. Jordan Tamu is a, is a name that people are familiar with. Aaron Murray from, you know, Georgia Bulldogs. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Matt McGloin. Um, Matt Jones, the running back. Um, so a lot of those familiar <laughs> names. Connor um, Cook. Connor Cook. Connor Cook was beaten out, though. I don't think he's getting that back. Yeah, but obviously after this performance, him. but people do know him. Um, so this is an opportunity for those for those um, teams to really make a name for themselves and to add some of those those um, name players and see how far that the XFL grows. Um, but 
any odds and ends, guys, before we finish off the podcast? Um, I would like to mention Redskins news. Yeah, because of the course. Redskins have been in the news like the last 24 hours because um, we heard that uh, Ron Rivera he's going to talk to Trent Williams, and since then he has had communications with Trent Williams, and that's going to that's now uh, is heading on a positive route. It doesn't mean Trent Williams is coming back this moment, but the fact that they are talking and is heading on a positive direction is. A big win for now. Yeah, of course. Got it, got the news uh, that I wanted to talk about was uh, their corner, Quinn and Dunbar. As there were reports like late last night that uh, from um, local media, from yeah. local media that uh, at first it said that he was he was going to skip like um, off season workouts and OTAs because he was shaken up by what happened to Ruben Foster mm-hmm. and didn't want to get get injured or anyone yeah. in any shape or form. So that was, that was understandable. Besides off season workouts are voluntary, right? Although OTAs are mandatory. mandatory, but then the news that we want to talk about is that reports came out that he has requested to be traded or released mm-hmm. because he, he felt like, look, well, I don't know. The, I don't know this uh, coaching regime. They don't know me. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. Since then, it was kind of refuted. Like he's not asking for a trade or release, but his main concern is like the contract because he's entering the final year of his contract and he has no guarantee money. Yeah. So if he gets hurt, he's got no guarantee money coming into him, and he wants. He just wants to be uh, secured long term and know that the uh, the team has his back. Mm-hmm. Because this is a guy coming who was an undrafted free agent, came out of a, as a wide receiver. Jake Gruden uh, asked him to switch to a corner, which was a terrific move. And over time, he has became their starting corner. And it would be a disservice to part, put a Redskins to part ways with him as they're definitely cutting Josh Norman. Yeah, that's for sure. So to lose, to cut Josh Norman and part ways with Quentin Dunbar, that would leave like what? Jimmy Moreland and Baby Moreau as their starters. Yeah, but then think about that. Think about how much cap space they would save if they would cut, uh, say, a Norman and cut several players that they may not be oh, yeah, uh, veterans, but then get back someone like a Chris Harris or someone like uh Well, James the, Bradbury from the Panthers, he has mentioned publicly he wants to play with yeah, Bradbury. But no, but I'm saying they could go after bigger fish because they have a lot of cap room this year and go after, say, a Chris Harris or – the uh, Dallas cornerback, uh, cornerback Byron, and Byron Jones. I'm sure you guys would love that. <laughs> um, so do you see Quinn Dunbar being traded or cut? And uh, I think he stays. I think I, I mean, they could uh, not cut him because I don't think they'll save uh, much cap space, but they may get a draft pick for him in a trade. So I think he ends up being traded because uh, they want to get – Because uh, I was reading on Reddit – when the news broke, the fans weren't actually upset that he was uh, saying this, that he wanted to be traded. They were actually saying, oh, good, let's cut the guy because this is uh, um, well, yeah, Ron Rivera's uh, resume, and uh, he wants to establish you, a system. You did make a good point there. The overall reaction, there were some Redskins fans that were like, oh, no, this is not good. But the majority was – Oh, like with him and Trent Williams or maybe Ryan Kerrigan. Well, we weren't winning with those guys. Exactly. So – Who's to say we're gonna we're, we're gonna finally win with them? So well, a lot of changes when you when you have a head coach like Ron Rivera come in mm-hmm. because and that's the one thing about football is that it it's when you when you get into a locker room and you change the culture of a locker room you you can change the way that the team plays. Our when I was uh, coaching for the Clarksburg Coyotes over this 
over this past season with the JV squad. The JV squad only won two games the year prior with a lot of the same players. But then the next year, when we had a coaching change, they went five and three. They improved a three-game um, three improvement. And that had a lot to do with the coaching change. So when you change the culture, you change the, the attitude of the team, a lot can change. And even in spite of maybe lack of um, talent at certain positions, you can end up improving greatly um, depending upon, obviously, what, what type of coach you have. And I think you have the coach in Ron Rivera that is going to be able to do that. He's going to be able to provide the culture that regardless of what talent that you bring in for him, He's going to improve that team oh, greatly. greatly. I haven't been more, more way more than what you would originally. I haven't been more optimistic about a Redskins offseason in a long time. Yep. Not during the uh, not during the Jay Gruden uh, years. Year one of Mike Shanahan, and uh, after the 2012 season, that's right. when I was optimistic. But since then, I haven't been optimistic. If they trade Quentin Dunbar, okay. If he stays, all right. I just think he will stay because Ron Rivera is a defensive coach. Mm. And I would think he would be able to uh, resolve this issue mm -hmm. and Quentin Dunbar will be able to stay. Because I do think we're getting – he's going to be the starter with uh, the Redskins getting another corner free agency, which I think is a James Bradbury. Not guaranteed, though, but the fact that he stated publicly he wants to play with Rivera, and I'm sure Rivera will pull some strings. For sure. So and you don't think they'll go after, say, like I said, Chris Harris? No, or... they'll go after Chris Harris. I just don't – think the Broncos are going to let him go. And what about the uh, Byron Jones? Oh, they'll go. Uh, oh, I would love if they get Byron Jones. <laughs> All the Redskins fans would love if they got Byron Jones, just like the Eagles would love if they got Amari Cooper. Yeah. Typical NFC which, that's rival, not, which that's not rival talk. Which, it's possible. You never know. You really, you really don't. When it comes to NFC East, they like to trade around their players. That's what. So apparently, that's what happens. I mean, Deshaun I mean, Jackson might as well have spent time with every single uh, NFC East team. I mean, the thing, the, the thing is, the reason why teams actually move within divisions rather than within they conferences. Their, yeah, exactly. Right? They recognize. But that's. I have a problem with that. That's <laughs> there, there's a lack of loyalty there, and True. I and I also don't appreciate. You know. You're trying to you're trying to make it easy for your for yourself. I get I get you know you you gotta do whatever is best for yourself. I you know that's cool. And if the money works for you, for a lot of people, it works for them. But I personally believe that, especially when you talk about the NFC East, it shouldn't be a whole lot of like player on player switching. I I think there should be some sort of loyalty. But it is a business. What are you gonna do? Players are gonna decide where they go. It's all up to them in that regards. Well, I mean, but, going back to Andre Drummond, he he made his comments on being traded. He learned that the NBA is a business, yeah. and it's there's no loyalty. Like I said, yeah, from his like point I said, of view. I mean, it's it is what it is. You know, you you do, some some players don't have the option. Maybe that's the only team mm -hmm. that they can go to. So it's going to be interesting to see how so, Quinn Dunbar's situation. I do ends think up. I do think he'll it'll get resolved and he stays. Samiro thinks he'll get traded. By the way, if he does get traded, what do you think he'll be? Like a, like I was hearing on the radio, like a third, fourth round pick, because that's, that's his value. Good. Yeah, that's his value. All right, well, that's going to go ahead and do it with the end of the podcast. Um, I was your host Nathan, um, as well as we had Samir and pa and Paolo um, co-hosting today. We hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Um, hope to see you guys next week as well with, the, with another edition of the Spin Move Podcast. 
Like I said, if you guys would like to comment or subscribe, you guys can go onto the multiple different platforms that we have. We have Apple, we have the uh, um, Spotify, uh, Spotify. Um, we have Google as well. You can Google us. You can also follow us on Twitter at the Spin Move Podcast, um, and you can also um, follow us at our individual Twitters: um, Skins Baller for Samir, Paolo at Power Esparza, I believe, yeah. correct? Um, for, for Twitter Paolo. and Instagram. For yep, Twitter and Instagram. Um, and yeah, we'd love to hear from you guys. Please do share um, this as well with other people. Um, get it, get the word out for our podcast. We'd appreciate that. Um, but that will do it for tonight, and we will see you guys tomorrow or next week. <laughs> yep. Enjoy the end. Enjoy the week. All-star weekend. Take care, everyone.